The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay and then there were eight Super Rugby Pacific quarterfinalists have been set for 2023. It's a welcome bull of Anaka to the playoffs rugby for the first time for the Fijian and Drua. Vaulted from 10th to 7th in the final round last weekend. Your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Wonderful to speak with Crusaders CEO Colin Mansbridge last week and a timely look behind the scenes at what makes that truly great outfit tick, especially at this time of year. And it turns out we could have just Googled it all, according to Colin, as he said last week. And it's just ended the top 25 most listened to episodes as well, a 21st episode to do it uh, this year, which is fantastic. And we thank you all for hooking in from wherever in the rugby world you find us. Joining me once again this and every week, the man still battling with the notion of which international fly half could deputise for Coldplay frontman Chris Martin, Harry Jones. Hello, mate. How are you doing? How's it, Brett? As you can see, I'm quite... uh sunny today because I played tennis mm. for four hours. I've been playing tennis a lot and I've been thinking about tennis as it relates to rugby. And uh, I know we're a doubles team and you played singles last week. And let me say, that was a very good episode. But I wondered if you missed me, first of all. Don't answer the question though. And the second thing is, <laughs> I, I was thinking that the Waratahs are like a player that doesn't have a good serve. They need to develop mm. a good serve, like a punch, like a thing that you control, that you put on the field. I felt really bad for Michael Hooper watching that. Uh, but, yeah, going into the playoffs, it looks like some teams, they know who they are, what they do, and some teams, like the Blues, have a really good serve, and they could just blow mm. you off the park at some points. But, yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was hoping, I was hoping that the Waratahs would, would be able to kick on, but I think they might miss Leichhardt, that, uh, the Oval, where they had all the beer guys yeah, yeah, and yeah. people tumbling yeah. down. And I think yeah. there's something about having a full stadium uh, and this, uh, you know, Allianz might be too cavernous. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, go back to cheap sauce, like I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Could be something in the, that. The curse, the curse of the expensive sauce. Could yeah, be. yeah. Could be something in that. Could be something in that. You wrote a really interesting article last week um, relating international fly halves to Coldplay, um, and I just wanted to know the one question that I left for you last week was: Does Quade Cooper know what the hell yellow is about? <laughs> Quake Cooper is because so not even Chris now. Martin knows that. Yeah, I don't think Chris Martin knows that much, but Quake Cooper is very <laughs> mystical. Although, <laughs> as your impression pointed out, I don't know what yellow is. I don't know. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Quake, Quake Cooper, when you read his Instagram now, he's very philosophical. So mm. you would probably be able to explain what yellow is, what it's not. Sure. Why not? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Hit me with a hero. Who have you got this week? Probably Dane Coles because he went out mm. on his shield the way he always has, you know, at his place. Um, I just like the idea that he took it on. You know, he said, I'm going to be this guy to the end. I'm not going to have a redemption story. I'm shithouse. I, I'm going to always be this way. And he just was able to get Cody Taylor befuddled. I love that. I mean, part of rugby yeah. was always – is just trying to do that to someone. It was hilarious. You yeah. know, packing down a scrum was the perfect opportunity. Right when the scrum is packing, everyone's qu- kind of quiet, and that's the time to slip one in. It was, and especially when it's two hookers and you're right next to each other. 
it was the it was the modern game equivalent of coming up swinging, wasn't it? <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was just the right of, as I said to you, it was just the right amount of shit as as the yeah, he's not, and he's, they were he's, you know he's not even shit house. Like he's like a shit nah. skyscraper. He's so good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh my zero this week is not TV colleague Nick McArdle, who committed the ultimate broadcasting faux pas of naming his previous employer live to air last weekend. But <laughs> in fact, Eddie Jones, the new Wallabies coach, who told the Evening Standard podcast last week whilst he was in England with the Barbarians that, quote, I'm only coaching to this World Cup. I've signed, but as I've, as I've made the mistake before, I've stayed too long. So we win the World Cup. It'll be time to go. If we lose the World Cup, it'll be time to go. And that has set the cat amongst the Rugby Australia uh, pigeons, as you can probably imagine. And we'll come back to this point in just a moment because on to this week's guest we go. It's someone we've spoken to before. And just as Harry and I found ourselves dragged into the Australian Team of the Year selections over the weekend, this week's guest got into this groove last week. The Raw Rugby Podcast. The Trans-Tasman Extension Court is still plugged in this week. And from the other end, we welcome back to the pod for the first time in 2023, stuff.co.nz, senior sports writer and Sydney Morning Herald rugby columnist, Paul Cully. Welcome back, mate. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, Probably. you too. Um, bit of a downgrade from from Colin last week, but I'll you know I'll try my best. <laughs> no, you'll you'll more than hold your own, mate. I'm, I'm quite I'm quite sure. Uh, as I mentioned, you've you wrote your team of the year up uh, last week, last weekend. In fact, can you name a team of the year before a competition is complete? Is yeah, that, is that it, kosher? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I don't. I, it's funny. I was kind of sweating on a couple of players. Um, um, playing well in the last weekend to justify the selections, and Corey too came up big for me. So um, thanks, Corey. Um, <laughs> I, 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 selections are so subjective. Yeah, the, the perfect example for me is Jeremy Williams. A lot, a lot of people wouldn't have him and their team. Yeah, wouldn't near it. But you know, I've watched him closely, especially when he came over for New Zealand for Western Force. Played three games over here. Yeah, just fronted up, tough young big guy and that, that was never going to change in the last weekend i was pretty confident in most of the selections were, were done and dusted i think like you i would, would like to hear your experience of, of picking the team it was actually a little bit worrying how hard it was and yeah if i was eddie jones i would be i'm taking a hundred picks from overseas um yeah, based on, right. based on super rugby especially the last two or three weeks yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and Eddie's been really positive, but you know, behind the scenes, he'll be thinking, "I've got a hell of a job in my hands here. I'm going to need everybody I can get my hands on from overseas." Yeah. 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 It looks to me, to me, the tight five it looks a little bit uh, dodgy and weak for the Australians. However, the for New Zealand, I saw that you you were contributing to a panel looking at Super Rugby, and there was the other problem, the wealth. Um, and you were looking at like guys like Billy Harmon, you were looking at Tom IT Williams, um, Luke Jacobson. Like it's really difficult to keep Luke Jacobson out the team and you did. So uh, it's almost like Foster has the opposite problem is who does he settle on who does for, he leave um, out? for his pack? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think he's pretty well settled. I spoke to him at the start of the year and he said, we've got a, a pretty clear plan translation. Most of the squads picked. Um, <laughs> yes. injuries are the thing that um, would, would trip him up, but there's, there's room 
there's room in the outside backs for one, two, you guys possibly to come in. And I think Cam Roy Guard at half backs must be must be interesting them he as well. Be close. Yeah. And Levi Moore, Levi Moore will be there, I think. Um, I've been told a pretty good source that the Rebels offered him considerably more than the Crusaders, and he knocked them back. So I suspect he's been tapped. That, that tells us something, team. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll we'll come back to our, our teams mm. uh, of the year in, in just a moment because it is an interesting exercise to try and go through. The same question that we ask every week, um, mate. Simply, what stood out for you on the weekend? What did what did you like? What did you not like? What did you what did you see that made you think? Well, I, I, I'm repeating what you guys said, but Dean Coles, uh, and in particular, Dean Coles minus Sam Whitelock, what that did mm. to the collection of that game, and what it might say about the Crusaders next year. When Whitelock went off at half time, they lost a little bit of direction. I thought the Crusaders um, made some strange decisions to try and play out of their play their way out of their twenty two. Didn't really go for territory and invited the Hurricanes into the game. And when Coles fired the game up, it really suited the Hurricanes. I mean, they, mm. they, they, don't, they love smacking in the Crusaders. As that really stood out for me in terms of the implication for the Brumbies. We'll talk about that in, yeah. in as well. Because I think the Hurricanes are a better team than they were last year. I couldn't see them winning in Canberra last year. They can win them this, this weekend. And probably the other thing that stood out for me was the, and this again is goes to the relationship between New Zealand and Australia, the depth of the Chiefs. Yeah, um, yeah. Compared to the depth of somebody like the Force, Force get a few injuries and they're pulling a Brazilian prop to make a Super Rugby debut. <laughs> he's up against he's up against Ollie Norris, who's the All Blacks conversation last year. You know, right? That I'm a Penny Fee now, and you know that that. The, 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 and I know the Chiefs are a very, very good team, but the depth there explains to me why I think the gap has widened this year. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. When their second 15 leads 19 nil after 20 minutes, um, yeah, that's a it's a pretty it's a pretty fair sign. What did you see, Harry? What what stood out for you? Um, so kind of a good and a bad. The good was probably watching Christian Le- Leofano roll back the years and sort of yeah, steal the Michael yeah. Hooper show and say, no, it's mine. I'm the one uh, you're here to see. And also, I think Christian Leofano had a beautiful uh, tribute to Hooper in the post-match interview. And, and I felt for Hoops a lot. Um, probably my zero would be the the villainous-looking Marcus Kremer, who actually is villainous in some, some ways. In top 14, he actually comes and decapitates Finn Russell. Finn Russell's attending a ruck. He's doing nothing. Nothing that Marcus Kremer can do at that moment will change the ruck. And he just comes down at a terrible, sickening uh, angle and just tries to take off Ben Russell's head. Straight red yeah. in the top 14. And it's an example of how some of our players still not getting it. Uh, and probably that they have to be a lot more serious in the sighting committee and, yep. you know, find something that actually changes behavior because that looked like something that he should not be playing rugby the rest of the year. It was that bad. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I've often said, you know, the... The sooner we get over these ridiculously generous discounts that are offered at the first opportunity, that's the time that we'll actually start sending some proper messages. And the running joke in in Super Rugby and everything has been six weeks down to three, and like, and that's mm. been the running joke for I don't know how long, too long, too long to remember. It's ridiculous. Um, my 
mine was just a it was a matter of finals nerves. The the Reds and Waratahs both suffered pretty ordinary losses, and then the Rebels and the Force. And I've written this for my column on Tuesday. Just copped a dose of stage fright and just forgot everything that had been working for them with a finals berth on the line. And that's the difference between going around again this weekend and heading to Bali, frankly. Like that's that's the difference that these guys have got to yeah. get over because it's a mental thing. They've got to get over <laughs> that and, and want to make that next step because you can't – it's all fine and good to lift, you know, lift the foot and make the next step, but you've actually got to land it and – and neither of them were able to do it, unfortunately. So, yeah, here we are. And the top eight this year with the the drawer in place for the Highlanders is basically the same as last year, which is interesting in itself. Um, we mentioned Eddie Jones, Paul, there at the in the intro. Will he be coaching the Wallabies in 2024? That's the big question in Australia right now. Yeah, I think it will. I mean, I had a look at that that uh, interview, and I don't, I don't take Eddie seriously all the time. I think he says some really insightful things, but I mean, I, I, I followed him closely towards the end of his tenure in England, and he was saying things like we're 3% away from winning the World Cup and things like that. It's just <laughs> nonsense, really. Yeah. Um, but when I saw those comments, I had a look at them, and I, maybe I'm wrong, but I think he was saying, to my mind, what he was saying would be, if I win the World Cup, I'm not going to go on for another four years to 2027. I'm going to give it away for them yeah and if i don't win the world cup somebody else is going to make that decision for me you know if you look back at all the other the past five coaches that coached the wallabies none of them have gone out in their own terms no been sacked or not been renewed i mean that's that's the business he knows that better than anybody mm. so I, I i don't think he'll be there in 2027 i think that's a that's a long time away i'd be mm. surprised if he's still there but i think he'll be there for the lions i think he would dearly love to beat the lions Mm, yeah, that's that's certainly true, Harry. What did what did you make of all that? We we sort of swapped messages over the weekend, and I think everyone was a bit dumbfounded because we'd heard the rumours that he'd been saying this sort of thing for a little while that that he wasn't going to be there beyond the World Cup, and then this seemed to confirm it out of nowhere. Yeah. So in ideology, to me, I watch Eddie, and I think I do take him seriously, but not literally. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I think he's yes, always trying to convey some message, but it's uh, it's just clouded in uh, Eddie rhetoric and flourishes. And so I think he likes to know to make news, uh, and he knew how to make it. But I, I do think this. I think he did learn that lesson, which is that he stayed too long. I think I think in his yeah. heart of hearts, when he looks back on the England experiment, he knows that he had a really good story there. Had he left uh, in two thousand twenty. I think he. Yeah. I think that would be a much better story, you know, on the verge of the, the World Cup final. I think he knows that, so I think he's probably finding his exit, and he probably wants to beat the odds. Like uh, Cully says, I don't think he wants to be showed the exit. I think this time he wants to be the one. Yeah, you know, I broke up with you, not you, not you with me. You know. Yeah, yeah, not and not again. You're like, yeah. you're like, if if anyone's going to end this one early, it's not going to be you. You're not going to get me a second time. Yeah, there might be something in that. He. The, the, the Sydney Morning Herald ran a piece Monday morning, Paul, you've probably seen it, that mm. Eddie Jones actually got in touch to clarify uh, his, his comments and he said that I am here for five years but my only concentration is this Rugby World Cup so I don't think past that. And 
and I, I get that that's what he would say, and you know, even the RA spokespeople tried to tried to make that clarification uh, over the weekend. But as uh, as as Tony Harper, our editor Harry, said on Monday night, he's had a week to nail this line. It shouldn't have taken this long. I wouldn't have thought to clarify. And even better, why didn't he just tell Lawrence Delelio that during the podcast? It was it's a. Oh, he gets no. caught up. He gets caught up in stuff, but he says things. I think his contractual lawyer probably said, "Hey, hey, um, just make sure that it always sounds like you were trying to fulfill your contract, <laughs> not, <laughs> and, not anticipatorily repudiating it." <laughs> yes, yes, could well be something in that. Could well be something in that. Uh, Super Rugby teams of the year. Um, the Raw's selections uh, are coming out uh, on Tuesday. They'll be out by the time uh, you're listening to this. Harry and I have been dragged into this exercise to, um, to, to to try and get our teams named. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, Paul named his side for the Sydney Morning Herald uh, in Saturday morning's paper, was it, mate? Yeah. Saturday morning. Yeah, right. And, and look, it was a... It was a really interesting team when I read it. From the top, uh, Matt Gibbon, Lockie Lonigan, Sam Talakai, uh, Jeremy Williams, as you mentioned, Nick Frost, Rob Valentini, Fraser McWright, uh, Lange Gleeson, the pack, and then Jake Gordon, Carter Gordon, Corey Tool, Tamari Tua, Lenny Kitao, Mark Nwonga Nikitawazi, and Tom Wright. Which ones... Which ones were you surprised at the most? And and it's probably Jeremy Williams. You've already said that. Um, yeah, I, I, the locks I find hard to pick. Um, I don't think anybody's really had an outstanding season. I, th- I think if Jed Holloway had juiced another two, three strong games, it would have been him. Yeah, uh, halfbacks really difficult because of the situation at the Brumbies. In my yeah. opinion, Nick Nick White's head and shoulders still the best halfback in in Australia. Yeah. But um, the Brumbies are obviously planning for life post Nick White, so they're yeah. giving um, Ryan Lonergan a lot of game time. Tate McDermott's had a, a very ordinary year, I think, yeah. by his, his standards, and I just don't think anybody else is quite there um, amongst that group. So I, I kind of landed on Jake Gordon for the second half of the season, plus the fact that when they were really looking ropey, it was him. Yeah, um, true. Really, really. And what I'm looking for when I pick a team this season is somebody who has had an outsized influence on that team. Yeah. Not necessarily the best player, but who has influenced their team most positively over the season. And I, I think he really stepped up when it was needed. Yeah, yeah. I had very similar thoughts about Matt Gibbon, Harry, and I – I saw him in Paul's team and I thought, yeah, he has actually had a really good year. And then I looked back through notes and things like that and he's just got better and better and better every year to the point where, I mean, there's still a bit of a question mark over Angus Bell, but I think he goes to the, probably goes to the World Cup and it'll be deservedly. It won't necessarily because he's next in line. It'll be because he's earned it this time around. Yeah, but even when you're picking a team of the tournament, it's almost a trap to start talking about international level because yes, there's someone who really like a like a John Ross in England had you know wonderful wonderful season. He's not going to play for the box, but he's no. just an incredible club player. So for me, Jake Gordon was my nine as well because I just thought at this level, even though I'm not taking him to the next level necessarily, 
Yeah. He played a really solid super season. Sam Talakai, I thought, was also just amazing. Yeah. I don't know if these guys are going to go play, you know, a lot of tests or not. Um, no. I thought it was tricky, the back three. I thought uh, there was that there, there's a lot of wing debate, I think, amongst the Australian players. And I think that is one area where I'm not too worried. I think the Wallabies are well served. But, yeah, yeah there were some great moments. Marky Mark had some wonderful moments. And I struggle with... Is it the collection of the seven or eight wonderful moments, you know, those crazy moments, yeah. or is it the, the the body of work, you know, you know, the solid, you know, I gave my coach 400 minutes of greatness, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so readers of the Raw will see our selections uh, in this piece on Tuesday. Have you got your team handy? You, you want to fire it off? Me? No. I, I don't even remember who I picked. <laughs> oh, come on. Let me, let me do your answer again. The Gordon Knox, I've got Jake, Jake and Carter. I like that synergy of the Gordons. Yeah, let me do your admin for you again. Uh, you picked <laughs> James Slipper, Lachlan Lonigan, Sam Talakai, Caden Neville, Nick Frost, Rob Bellatini, Fraser McWright, Harry Wilson, <laughs> and then Jake Gordon, Carter Gordon, Corey Toole, Izzy Peresi, Lenny Katow, Mark Norman, Tawazi, Tom Wright. So there's some mm. there's some overlap there with Paul's side. It's very similar. Yeah. 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 All right. He's almost, well, he's, well, he's almost got a right. <laughs> That's good. All right. So I've gone with Matt Gibbon, Matt Fassler, Sam Talakai, Jed Holloway, Nick Frost, Rob Valentini, Fraser McWright, Richard Hardwick at eight, Nick White, Carter Gordon, Corey Toole, Hamish Stewart, at 12, Lenny Kitao, Lockie Anderson, Tom Wright. Yeah, all of, those, all, all of those guys I thought about that you've named, all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Paul, what was, what was the hardest positions for you? Because for me it was tight head prop, uh, right wing, and inside centre. Yep, yep, probably agree with that. Um, yep. uh, tight head props are real um issue i was i was thinking about going completely left field and putting jermaine ainsley in there because as far as, <laughs> as, far as i'm concerned he's still um as far as i know he still will be qualified um but yeah that was a that was a tricky position number 12 was there yeah know, like i think uh for Keddie would have would have been there for me but didn't play enough games didn't play enough games and and, and i didn't think Tomati Tua did either, and I had to sort of dig a bit deeper on that. Hamish Stewart played all 14 games for the Force this year, and he might have played maybe one, one and a half games at 10. But as I thought about it more, there was a lot of chopping and changing in that Western Force back line, but Hamish Stewart was the one constant. Yeah. And that said something to me. He played really well through a terrible intercept on the weekend, though. He did do that, yes. That's true. That's true. Which, um, which, position harry gave you the most trouble um probably the second lock i mean nick frost was pretty easy but then i was just yeah. i was just looking at who claimed the most lineouts, who attended the most rocks i just went with a workhorse and yeah. you know caden neville was kind of unspectacular um yeah. but reliable for his team and i think sometimes you just need someone who will carry the ball not even necessarily well just you need someone who can carry 10 times and hit mm. some rocks and and he was that guy be- I think I went with Jed Holloway for pretty much the same reason. <laughs> you know, same, same, no, why, same sort of argument. Paul, why did why did why do you get picked to pick so many teams? Is there is there like a feeling that that you're good at that, or or you're the only one who's brave enough to take it on? 
because he's on the big bucks. Probably I'm the only one who's smart enough to watch all the games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Well, but you also pick a team of the week every every yeah. week, so yeah. you've it sort of makes, got a running list. Yeah, it makes, it makes it a lot easier. I mean, I mean that, and that's why I was – there were some difficult positions, obviously, but, but but when you've watched every game of the year, by the time you get to the week before, it's a bit easier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You see the same behaviors from the same players every week. The one question I'd ask you, Brett, and you, Harry, is about the locks, especially the Brumbies locks, and the fact they hold Brumbies forward pack. Do you think that they have? Because of the way that they've changed their game plan this year, to me mm. it's very obvious that Larkham's come in and he's gone. We could get to the semi-finals again using the same game plan, but unless yeah. I can raise the ceiling, we're yeah. never going to be champions. So yeah. they've, they've had more counter-attacking, play what you see type thing. Do, do yeah. you think that that's negated a little bit of their effectiveness up front in the pack? Do you think there is as... as formidable up front as they were last year. I don't think they're as reliable and as consistent right. up front this year. And it's and it's line out particularly that I'm talking. Their scrum is still pretty solid, but their line out has wavered this year. And the interesting part in that is that Frost and Neville and Darcy Swain are all in the top 10 line out winners this year. For the, for the competition, so and no other team has got three three players in it, so they're winning a lot of ball and they're stealing a lot of ball, but I would wager that the the lineout accuracy of the Brumbies hookers is mid table at best because they've the the three of them have all been pulled up for 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 crooked throws at different points. They've all had throws picked off and. It's really interesting, Harry, to, to, to watch that because it was something that I noticed about round two or three, and I thought, well, they're going to have to fix this, but it still happened on the weekend. They Matt Phillip got yeah, up in front of Nick Frost a couple of times. Yeah, I see that. Um, I think no, I think Paul, I think you're right about the experimentation, the system, and I think the problem they're dealing with right now, not very well, is lost ball, and you know, the whole idea of. The Brumbies were good at not losing the ball when they didn't want to lose the ball because they didn't yeah. have the ball until they wanted it. And then they had it, then they would drive through. Um, I think they're not doing that as well. And they're also conceding more breakaways uh, yeah. on the other they've end. So I think that's a hundred more points this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the problem is they're, when they are losing, when they're conceding the ball, it's in places on the pitch that not, they're not used to. And it's probably too wide. Um, I think they still play the best when they go back to their old roots and those matches that they played that way, they played better. And so I'm, I'm a bit worried about them going up against the Canes. Those are the two mm. teams that score the most tries, but the Canes score tries in, in exactly the way that the Brumbies seem to be having trouble stopping, if that makes sense. If, Just, it, if, it, becomes a, if it becomes a competition of counterattack on the weekend, we could see the greatest game of rugby ever played. <laughs> yeah, like it could, it could be. It could be absolutely fantastic. And you mentioned the Brumby switch of counterattack. I've actually written about that for for Tuesday, Paul. It's it was back on the weekend, and, and it hadn't been there for for the few weeks before that. Yeah, they want to play that way. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. I would. I don't really have. If they, if they get knocked out on um, on Saturday, 
I wouldn't really have any problem with it as long as Larkham sticks with it next year. Yeah. Yeah. If he if if, if this is the plan, I may be reading too much into it. And then they get knocked out and go, Well, it didn't work, we'll go back to you know what we're good mm. at. I think that would be a big mistake. They I don't think they can win as good as they were at doing certain things, I don't think they'll ever win a Super Rugby title playing that way. I know they're mm. close to the final last year or do they deserve to be in it? But I just don't, I, I think at certain points of the season, you need to be able to hurt teams off the cuff, yeah. the top two, three teams. You've got to be able to live with them to do that yeah. and be able to hurt them that way. And if, if, if the Brummies don't do it this year, it doesn't mean to me that this season's been a failure. Yeah, and I think it could be no. solid. Like the, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are playing very fundamentally sound rugby. So if the Brumbies were looking for a template, that could be one. I mean, the Chiefs are the best scrum, best line out. Um, they're very solid, and they don't give away a lot of breakaways. They cut the points that they concede. It's the only team um, that actually cut points conceded in the whole comp. I think. So yeah, I think yeah. I think it takes two years or three years to bed in a system that is that is different. So to your point, if they give up on it, then it's almost the worst of both worlds. Then they, then they actually messed up both times. Well, yeah. these, in, these in teams learn off the Brumbies, you know, I know there's this perception as always, uh, Australians having to learn from New Zealand teams. New Zealand teams wouldn't spend as much time on the mall defense if it wasn't for the Brumbies, you know, mm. so that, that, they, they, they've taken parts of what the Brumbies do really well and went, if we can't stop this ball, we're going to get smashed in Canberra every time they go there. Mm. So, you know, they've, they've improved. And we talk about Super Rugby in the context of South Africans leaving and what that has cost the competition in terms of high performance, which I'm a strong believer in. The Brumbies, the way that they play, fill that gap a little bit. And I, I think yeah. it's really important that they play that way. And then teams 100% learn from them. Rugby on the raw. Paul Super Rugby Pacific quarterfinals this week. Did we did we finish with the top eight that you thought we probably would back in round one? Um, I thought the Highlanders might 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 sneak in, um, uh, but you know they they caught some floggings at the start of the season mm-hmm. and ultimately hurt them with the with the points differential, but not really. I mean, I, I, I thought that the Andrew would go close this year. Yeah. Um, that just the amount of talent that they have and the support they have in, in Fiji. I mean, I was told um, that in terms of the broadcast numbers in Fiji, bearing in mind it's free to air, some of their games are getting 500,000. The population of Fiji is just over 900,000. Yeah, right. So that gives you an idea of how they've captured the imagination over there. And you get a taste of it from the, the broadcast. Um, but, you know, I, I, I thought they did a, um, a fantastic thing at the start of the season where they just sacked um, their best player, arguably. Yes, yes. And drew a line and said, that's not what we're going to be about. And um, they haven't, haven't paid a price for that, have they? In no, fact, not at all. Probably set them up as a what they are going to be about for years to come. Yeah, Vinay Hambosi, we're, we're talking about, of course, and that's that's maybe been the most remarkable thing about the Drua this year is that 
I don't I don't think that there's been a week go by where they haven't made four or five or six changes to the to the fifteen every week. I'd love to know how many players Mick Burns used this year because I reckon it's it could be pushing fifty. It just feels like there's a new player every week, and they're bringing you know Fijian internationals back from Europe, and they're slotting them in, and then they're not playing for a couple of weeks, and then. Um, you know, Caleb Munts played on the weekend. He hadn't played for a month, six weeks before that. They, they've used a lot of players, but gee, they play some good rugby. They just, Harry, they just slot in, they do the job, and they get it done. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of a the Leinster thing where they could put, you know, they could put two different teams on and and do pretty well. It doesn't look mm-hmm. like they do the miracle offloads as much. Um, it looks like there's more discernment in the tackle in the collision area by what you do with the ball. I think it's a tidy team. I think it's a tough team. And I think obviously it correlates almost exactly with the number of times they played in Fiji. So that, that is a home fortress. That is a place to go yeah. play. And I think that for Australian teams looking at that, I think the game experience, yes, it needs to be fun. It needs to be family friendly, but also it, it needs to be a tough place to go get a win. And, um, and I do think there's something about the Drua that's they built something there where you I think everyone now when they see a fixture in Fiji, they I don't care who you are, they would say that's a tough place to go play. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. Us yeah. the Crusaders, us the Blues, us the Chiefs, they all they all they all had trouble. When they start winning in New Zealand and Australia, Paul, we're we're all in trouble, aren't we? Yeah, and they will. I mean, if you look back at the Hayuares, they, they had a similar sort of progression. And then I remember one year they won once in New Zealand. I think they then did it twice or three times. Yeah. And, and once, once, they, once they master that, um, they'll be contenders. I mean, I'm a little bit worried about the number of players heading overseas at the end of the yes, year. Yes, it's, it's another eight on talent, nine. But yeah. yeah, I know there's a lot of talent, but... You know, when you lose Tamani and Revovo and, uh, you know, they, it takes maybe a couple of years to get the next guy up to that sort of level. Yeah. Um, I don't begrudge them. Uh, I think that's they've been pretty upfront from the start. Is that's what's going to happen. And yeah. You're not going to stand these player, in these players' way. That's, that's part of what they're about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they, they just look well drilled to me. You know that, and they they smashed the Reds at the weekend. Scrummed them, scrummed them into the mud. Won yeah. all the collisions. Uh, had the pressure on them. Just, just they just thrashed the Reds. I mean, they yeah. were just wasn't even close, really. No. So no, that, it, it, I mean, it looked then, like they looked like they were always winning that game from the beginning, like the entire game. Yeah. Yeah, they were. What? And I know you've. I know you said you you won't at all be surprised um, if the if the Hurricanes win in in Canberra on on Saturday night. And look, if they do, I'll never talk to you again, obviously. But what value <laughs> for the competition would it actually be if one or more of six, seven, eight won this weekend? Like, if there was a genuine upset in an eight team final series, what what could that do for the competition? Uh, I actually, I, I I want to see the best four teams in the in the semifinals. Yeah. I think the best four teams deserve to be there. I think that I think the problem for the competition is how uneven it is. 
that's what yeah. it comes down to. And, yeah. and we you can go and round in circles about the 18 finals format and all the rest of it, but the, 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 the competition is not very even at the minute. And that's, that's the big problem that the people who run the competition, we might talk about the commission shortly, yep. but that's the fundamental issue that they've got to address. I don't know what the appetite really is like to address that, but that's, that's the issue for me. Yeah, yeah, it's a fair, it's a fair point, Harry. The there was a gap last, there was a big gap last year, uh, but it was between the Reds in seventh and the Highlanders in eighth. There was twelve points between them. This year, the gap is between the Five. Hurricanes in fifth and the Waratahs in sixth. There's ten yeah. points there. Uh, I mean, there's eleven, there's eleven points <laughs> between the Chiefs and Crusaders at first and second, I think. But the the gap between the top five teams is a lot wider this year than, than was the case last year. Yeah, and get used to that in rugby as the um, powers that be and maybe the fandom says, we want more ball and play. We want a, high, a yeah. higher speed. We want, uh, and so therefore the gap between the, the best athletes, the best teams, the best squad, the deepest squads is gonna grow and it's gonna be harder and harder for the bottom echelon of every competition to compete, whether mm. it's top 14, England, URC, it's, it's developing everywhere. I think it's going to happen in the World Cup. I think there's going to be some more lopsided uh, results, and I think it's going to go to form. So I think that's the struggle. Uh, what's the solution would be player migration, uh, an open system within uh, the ability for you know money in Sydney to get Kiwi players to come over, or vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, even so, Mana Pacifica to take the bottom guy, the bottom team, they're trying to do their best. Their best player gets um, scooped up by, was either going to be the Rebels or the Crusaders with uh, yeah. crazy amounts of money. So there's an example there of how, so how does Moana Pacifica catch up? Um, mm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they can. So I do think there's something wrong with that, uh, whatever, the actual system. <laughs> It, it'll be interesting, Paul, to see what the appetite of New Zealand rugby is to try and address that, particularly for Moana. Yeah, I, I think with New Zealand rugby, um, if you look at them, New Zealand rugby, rugby with a small R, because you've got to take into consideration here the Players Association, right? Yes. And then they, they don't want or don't feel potentially that it's even legal to say to, let's say, somebody in South Auckland, who's grown up close to their family, close to their church, being told you've got to go down to Dunedin. That's that's where you've got to move to. Yeah. I don't think they're really that comfortable with that. Yeah. And, um, I know we, every now and again, we talk about a trans-Tasman draft. That is just not going to happen. No, no. If, if there's reluctance to send someone from South Auckland to Dunedin, you're exactly. certainly not going to send them to Melbourne. <laughs> no, exactly. So, I mean, I don't... I don't know what I don't I, I don't I don't see a, a hard and fast mechanism coming in there. What what I would like to see is uh, some uh, some form of soft power, some sort of encouragement given the players who are not getting the minutes that they should be um, yeah. going to um, the Highlanders, for example. I, I think yeah. there's got to be room for some common sense. It may not be a hard and fast draft, but there's some very good players in New Zealand who are getting limited minutes in positions that the Highlanders are of a of a, of a weakness in. Yeah, and I, I, and I think in New Zealand systems actually more 
uneven than the Australian one. Uh, you're starting to see some players go to Perth, which is great. I, I think the system is actually more uneven in, in, in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. It feels like the gap between the best teams and the worst teams in New Zealand is a lot wider than between the best and worst in Australia. Well, there's nothing wrong with the gap, but if it's if it's an irreversible gap, yeah, right. If yeah. it if, if it can't if it can't be if hard work and um, good talent ID can't address that gap, then mm. you have an issue. Because yeah. well, and in the case of Moana, Paul, it's you know, the actual formation idea, which was to. Uh, hold a team in trust for the islands and for the Pacific and to try to um, find a new way. So it wasn't just scooping the best talent always for the All Blacks or some other team. And I just feel like it's a bit disappointing that the very best player, Amoana Pacifica, Levi Omua, has been scooped and was probably going to be scooped by the Rebels if he didn't go. Uh, so he could have been qualified for Australia. It just seems like that idea of Moana is not necessarily happening right now. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think that's. I think it's disappointing. I, I think maybe Moana have to take a harder line when they sign players and say mm -hmm. that you, know, you you either have to be qualified or you have to make a commitment that. And Levi Mu mm -hmm. never gave up in his defence. Yeah. He was all front with him and said, "Look, I'm, I'm keeping my options open." The one for me that if he was scooped up, it would completely make a mockery of it, would be Miracle Faalangi. Yes. He has got all black number six written all over him. Yes. You know, I am sure good. that they would love to get their hands on him. I mean, mm -hmm. he is he is what they have been crying out for in that position for a long, long time. He, he, looks, like, he looks like Jerome Connor. He's 23 years old and he's got so much upside. He's, a, you yeah. know, he's if he were to go, if Zayn Rugby were to sign him, then I think the concept would be dead and buried. Yeah, yeah. Um, Levi Moore was always one of those guys who he made his intentions clear from the start that he's going to keep his options open. You know, you've got to understand that. Mm. That's on Moana, really. I think. I mean, we we, we want them signed. to succeed, but they've got to they've they've got to be clear and and who they are signing. Yeah, um, but yeah. One for me is Miracle Farlang. I'll be watching with interest to see if they mm. re-sign him. Hopefully, they cap him quickly and, and and get him to the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, very quickly. Uh, very, very quick answer. Are the Chiefs still favourites? Yes. Harry? For sure, for sure, yeah. yeah. They're the most complete team. And like I said, when it comes down to the knockoffs, uh, the, the knockout matches, their their defense, I think, is going to be the difference. Yeah, that's no, a it's a good point. You brought up the commission, Paul, and you've written about this um, a fair bit over the last month. We've swapped a few messages uh, ourselves. Colin Mansbridge last week was confident that we're edging closer to some good news. Do you do you agree with him? And and if so, have you got a time frame that you're hearing? Two or three months. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, there's a lot of frustration in New Zealand. Um, it would be, you know, incorrect not to say that. I mean, you got to remember about New Zealand as well is that the Super Rugby clubs aren't uh, owned and operated by New Zealand Rugby. These are no. private investors. Um, in the case of the Highlanders, the, the chairman himself has invested heavily, 43%. So there's a mix of private investors and provincial unions. They're the ones that are really 
pissed off. Yeah. Um, because you don't invest in rugby clubs to make money, but you don't you don't want to see that um, investment not realised, unfulfilled, and that's why there's frustration at, at Rugby Australia uh, and Hamish. Mm. Uh, but I do take the point from Rugby Australia that there actually has been a little bit of progress this year in terms of the rules. They're betting into new teams. Uh, you know, they're, they're not necessarily um, dragging the, uh, the chain too, too much. But I think it'll happen in two or three months. It has to happen because on the, on the Rugby Australia side, there's, there's, there's funding attached to it happening. Yeah. There's millions of dollars at stake. Yeah, no, I completely agree. The, the the question, Harry, is always going to be whether there is enough appetite at national union level to actually cede some degree of control over competition. And that appears to be the stumbling block still at this point. No, you're asking humans to not have human nature. So yeah. I think when you're trying to do organizations and you're un, and you're pinning them to uh, self-interest. You're always going to have this kind of mishmash club versus country also plays out here. And then you just have people who have extraordinary egos like Hamish. Um, Paul, is that the view in New Zealand about Hamish? Is, is he just seen as someone? I mean, I know he's playing to his base and maybe in his base, he's extremely popular, <laughs> like, you know, ruffle the feathers and, and get in there. But in New Zealand, is that playing well? And is he seen as someone who is a hindrance or is he just playing a hard, you know, poker poker game when they respect it? There's a, there's a bit of both. I mean, I, I think the frustration in New Zealand is that um, he makes a lot of noise without necessarily having anything to back that up. Yeah. Um, in, in some cases, like the the brinkmanship of the walking away from the competition entirely. And I've spoken to people about this, and they said, well, it had an effect on the sponsors. They weren't re-signing. Yeah. Yeah. It had an effect on our, our, our members. They weren't renewing mm. uh, because they didn't know what they were buying into. And it creates this narrative of, well, the people who are running the competition actually don't give shit about it anyway. I don't really value yeah. it. So why should I? Why should I invest yeah. into it? I, I think you could make an argument that's had a material effect on mm. the clubs. Certainly yeah. that's the way in New Zealand. And that's, that's frustration on the... On the other hand, there is a realization in New Zealand that Australia is different. It is a different market, and it produces different types of administrators. There's no doubt New Zealand would be much more comfortable with Cameron Klein or Michael Hawker type mm. type chair, mm. but they, they they do understand that Australia is different. And I think at New Zealand rugby level, the attitude toward Hamish is, you know, we we just got to deal with them. You know, we've got yeah. to take bumps in the relationship. We've got we've got to deal with them. And um, by the way, we've just signed an MOU with Japan. We're talking to the Irish about tests on the East Coast every couple of years from 2025. You know, they're getting on with other things. Mm. It, it's at the super rugby club level where the frustrations most Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that would be is um, shared among the Australian clubs as well. And I've got no doubt it's had a very similar effect on uh, memberships particularly and crowds um, and quite probably sponsors there's certainly there's certainly been a few you know vacant spots on jerseys and shorts and things in australia this year so i think it's it's definitely having 
uh, it can have an impact because if the narrative is, like you say, consistently negative and, you know, we're going to leave this comp because it's rubbish, why would people sit down and watch it? What, how, how, how are people supposed to, as you say, get invested in a competition that three months ago you were saying is rubbish and you're going to walk away from? It's, it's, it's a hard sell. Yeah, and the other thing it does is it takes away from other things that they could be doing that are practical. Yeah. Um, a listener to the pod, Bruce from Sydney, wrote in this week talking about how it's hard to know what the TMOs and the refs are talking about at the, at the stadium, at the yes. Alliance. And then he looked into it and said, why couldn't we have, you know, ref, a uh, ref pod, ref air, uh, buds. And I saw that at the Aviva in Dublin that they sell them for five euros mm. and you can actually listen to the whole soliloquy and, uh, and you're not in dead air, but he got a kind of a, no, looked at that. It's not feasible, uh, response from, it's, from the club. It's like sports, to is, me, if, sports if, is, has been yeah. around for 10 years, maybe 15 Easy. years. It's, 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 it's like, it's, it's easier to do. I don't understand why it's not yeah. still happening. But and to me, that said, yeah, to me that, I really like Colin's, Colin's point last week. That was a really good one. Get let's get this audio in the stadiums. Yeah, and the, the, the practicalities of that, you know, building up this match this weekend and where the best experience that you could possibly have on this match is what we're losing when we have the standoff. Because in standoffs, you don't what you what you want to do is you want to posture and you want to posture forever. Like we could leave. No, we could leave too. And you're not yeah. saying what can we do right now with ice cream and earbuds and uh, you know a clown or something something that's more exciting? <laughs> right. Yeah, there, there, are, there are so many little things. You're right, Howard. There are so many little things that they, they could be doing. I give you two yeah. examples: a bad one and a good one. I start with a good one. They had the uh, joint. They haven't joint press conferences this week with the mm. quarterfinal coaches. Well, that's a great idea. That's yeah. a really yes. good idea. It's not. It's a simple idea, and suddenly you've got Kiwi journalists asking uh, Aussie coaches. You're breaking down those barriers. You're getting a, a dialogue going, a conversation going. Fantastic. Both both teams win. They, they get get what they want for their own domestic market, and also the Australian New Zealand market. Brilliant idea, right? Just that's one little idea. But just mm. keep that going. And on the flip side, if you remember after the. Reds Highlanders game, the Shannon Fazell Connor Vest incident. What in, in a functioning competition, journalists should have been able to ring somebody up, a commissioner, a CEO, a boss, on a Monday morning and go, What's doing with that? What happened yes. there? Who's yeah. in the wrong? Who's in the right? Reds are filthy. Have they got a point? Right? Done and dusted on Monday afternoon, probably. Yeah. Instead, it was rolling on for like three or four days. Super Rugby refs in New Zealand were furious, trying to push Sanzar and putting out a statement, blah, blah, blah. That's just amateur. Yeah. Amateur hour. There's a guy who broke his neck, and nobody yeah. knows whether it's foul play or not. You know, that's, it, it, it shouldn't have. That's, it, that, for a competition that's 20, over 25 years old, for, for there not to be a person that a CEO or a journalist can't call up is patently ridiculous mm. yeah and it, it was yeah. after so many years of uh, people saying we have to do x y and z because what if someone was to break their neck and then we have someone who actually did and then it seemed yes. like we weren't ready to deal with that real situation and it was and fumbling it was a soap opera who did they rush them off the field did they not and i thought that was horrible because it hung the refs out to dry it made the players upset 
And it was, to me, it was an easy one. If you had a mm. fully engaged um, leadership, you would take that on. You would, you would say, let's talk about that right now, like tonight. Yeah. Let's talk about it right now. It just, it just underlines the need for, for, for a governing body for Super Rugby. It just, exactly. it just does. It just does. I mean, I, I understand that um, in that, in that, uh, the details around the commission, the protections for both national unions are in place. So, you know, none of the big decisions can be taken by the commission. Um, no, so that's true. There's no, there's nothing. There shouldn't be anything lurking in there. It, it's just, it's more at this stage just to have these practicalities dealt with. And yes. Also, somebody to champion the competition. Something, somebody needs to go out there and speak in the journalist Tuesday, Wednesday, and go. Actually, you know what? The TV figures, you guys are kicking the crap yeah. out of the yes, The TV figures actually gone up. Our yes. sponsors yes. are really happy. Daddy, da, da, You know, which just is Colin's point did. last week. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. Yeah, look, it's it's just it is just needed. It is absolutely just needed, and it's going to be it's going to go on. It's going to go on for longer than it needs to, longer than it should have. It should all be they should be they should have been announcing the formation of the commission in these next two weeks during finals. It it should have been in place by now, and it's unfortunately it's another missed opportunity in the wonderful wacky world of Super Rugby, uh, but. It gives us something to write about every week, Paul, and it's been great to chat to you about it once again this week. Uh, we haven't even touched on international rugby. We'll we'll have to get you back on through the international season and there'll be all sorts of things to talk about uh, then, no doubt. Um, thanks for, for joining us for, for another chat. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, great to have you. Thanks, Harry. The Roar. Harry, great to talk to, to Paul Cully as always. Um, I reckon we got deeper into a lot of, things around super rugby than we probably anticipated but it was it's actually timely and it's actually worth doing i think at this time of year yeah and i, I like it i like uh, paul cully because he's you know he's in his laundry room kind of a proof of life video um you know <laughs> like are you okay are you safe do you feel all right yeah, yeah but he's yeah he digs like in, once you know? yes like, yeah it's forensic uh and i understand why he gets to pick these teams of the year because i think he's really good at it he's not uh he's objective he's an objective guy the thing I've always liked about um, Paul's writing, and this even goes back to um, he wrote for the Paul, he wrote for the Raw more than a decade ago. When I first started, he was he was one of our expert columnists, and he would. It's not like it's not necessarily a, like a, a turn of phrase or or a choice of words, but he would just he would just say something, or he'd write something, and you go, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. really interesting," and I can't argue against it. Like he he writes and he speaks in a way that makes you think, and I and I love that. It has, I love having it that has the me. ring of it has the ring of truth to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does, definitely does. So, Super Rugby Pacific quarterfinals uh, this weekend, as we mentioned, we spoke about everything bar the actual games themselves. I suppose this weekend they start on Friday night with the Blues and the New South Wales Waratahs in Auckland. That's uh, seven thirty-five local time. Uh, that's obviously uh, 5.35 in Australia. Then on Sunday, it's three games back-to-back. The Chiefs in Queensland in Hamilton at 4.35 local time, 2.35 in Australia. Crusaders host the Fijian Drua in uh, Christchurch at 7.05 local time, 5.05 in Australia. And then the ACT Brumbies hosting the Hurricanes in Canberra at 7.35 
local time. And it's four really interesting games for four different reasons, um, I think, mate. But I actually, I actually really like that. I, I my gut feeling is that top four go through, and I think that's probably what people will expect, with the possible exception of. There'll certainly be a train of thought that the Hurricanes can win, and it won't be overly surprising. But I think top four get through. Yeah, you, you would think that for the Chiefs to lose, there would have to be some kind of red card, you know, saga or something really weird happen. Like the Chiefs just mess up. Uh, otherwise, it's theirs. I think the Brumbies Canes is a straight up try that both those teams know how to score tries. They score tries in different yeah. ways, but they yeah, are the definitely two the top leading scores yeah. this year. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's one that's a, that's a pick em match and you would just go home team because home team will give you that extra yeah. boost. But no, no, the Chiefs and the Reds, uh, the Reds are going to have to have some magic happen for them. Yes, Drew, I think, is all, Drew, I think, also have, you know, sort of sur surpassed their, their, uh, their uh, expectations. So it's easy mm -hmm. for them to say, we're done now. I mean, they'll put up a good fight. I think what's interesting is I want to see the Waratahs come in and say, the Blues... Even though they're a very good team, they have some pro they have some holes, they, and they uh, teams beatable. have found those. Yeah, there is something they about the Blues beatable. that is not convincing. So of the they three, for the three that yeah, they should you know be easy. I think the Blues might struggle a little bit. The other ones, Chiefs and Crusaders, should roll. But yeah. I don't know about the, Can the, Blues, the Canes and the and the Brumbies. Who knows? It could anything could that, happen. That could be forty-one thirty-seven. Honestly, exactly. it, who it has? Be, I, I wrote down. On my prediction, but I crossed it out. Was whoever has the ball at the end, you know, whoever whoever has, has the final say will win. <laughs> it could be that way, you know. You captain, obviously. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. It could, no, I mean the, the kick, the kick, the kicking too. Whoever has whoever's oh, the, that one final yeah. shot. It looks like yeah. to me, no one's gonna was gonna run away from that. Yeah, it could well be. Could well be. the Blues. It's a really interesting point about the Blues because, I mean, they were one bad ruck decision away from losing a semi final in Eden Park last yeah. year. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, the top 14 semifinals this weekend. We'll see uh, Toulouse hosting Racing uh, on Friday. La Rochelle hosts Bordeaux uh, on Saturday. Bordeaux won through after beating Lyon, um, and Racing beat Stade Francais as well. They were both the away teams last week as well, I think. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that was a bit, of a, a bit of a boil over on the... Uh, on the on the top fourteen front, um, and we probably need to get our heads around talking about Curry Cup. I think I haven't. I've looked at a table very briefly, and there's about maybe a bonus point win between third and seventh or something like that. So we'll get into that in um, in weeks to come. Uh, on the tipping front, mate, I now trail by five. It's our mate Digger has. I think he's got this competition wrapped up now, or maybe it's Digger's mm -hmm. daughter, as she, as was the case on last weekend. Uh, I got four in the weekend. You got three, so our gap is back out to six. That's fine. I can live with that. My uh, my focus right now is on Jeff Parks. I have to catch that boy. Just because you're only a point behind him, aren't you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, a little bit of news over the last seven days. Uh, All Black Sevens coach Clark Laidlaw um, was named the new Hurricanes coach, you know, replacing Jason Holland, who will be one of Scott Robinson's All Blacks assistants next year. Uh, Sam Whitelock will be uh, heading, to, uh, heading back to France. He signed a two-year deal with Section Paul in the south of France, uh, where he'll link up with uh, younger brother Luke. Uh, the Crusaders will reportedly name Ray's replacement in the next few weeks, and and Colin Mansbridge sort of hinted at that last week. 
stuff.co.nz, uh, Paul Colour reported that Rob Penny is uh, is is probably the favourite at this point. That's the former Waratahs and Canterbury mm. coach as well. So that will be interesting. London Irish, we've been keeping a bit of an eye on over the last month, six weeks. They've got less than a week now to get their house in order or else being else risk being ejected from the premiership. The RFU's financial viability working group met last week to desert, determine the next course of action after only half the players and staff salaries were paid for May. So that's a really concerning issue there. Um, and could, I note could be a 10... Could be a ten team. Uh, it could be a ten team mm. competition pretty soon. I note that the uh, jersey that I'm wearing right now, Bath, uh, lining up more than a few London Irish players for next year as well. Mm. After picking up a few boss players this season, just gone. Uh, Lungy Gleeson has recommitted himself to Australian rugby. Signed a new deal with the Waratahs um, and RA through to the end of 2025, uh, which is good news. The Junior Wallabies were left to rue. Missed opportunities, unfortunately, over the weekend. They went down 19-18 to the New Zealand under-20s in Wellington. Um, that They couldn't quite back up their, their win on Monday last week, which is fantastic. Um, and we mentioned it earlier at the top, former Brumbies and Wallabies and current Moana Pacifica playmaker uh, Christian Lilifano has confirmed he is very, very close to formalising his uh, transfer of allegiance from Australia to Samoa uh, in time for the Rugby World Cup. This year, he last played for the Wallabies uh, in Japan, the 2019 World Cup. So, I mean, that'd be fantastic if he can do it. And he says himself, it's one thing to get the paperwork in order. I've still got to be picked. So it's <laughs> certainly not a fate to comply. I, I think he would be picked. I think they would squeeze him in somewhere. Yeah, what a squad, man. You know, the, the wealth yeah. of experience and just good guy. Good guy to have yeah. on the plane. Absolutely. Be really useful. Really useful. But, mate, that is us done for episode 65 of the Raw Rugby Podcast. Don't forget Harry and I are both on the socials, particularly Twitter. Harry's also on uh, on Instagram. Uh, you will find us both there. Please do leave us a rating or a review if your pod platform allows it, as Witsy did on through Apple Podcasts this week just gone. He just said, great rugby chat every week. Good news, good interviews. Love it. And so thank you for that, Witsy, that kept up our uh, – five-star average which is fantastic and we love it uh please do also like follow subscribe on your pod platform of choice and just make sure you see every episode as it goes live it's the raw rugby podcast with me brett mckay and harry jones every week on the raw.com.au australia's biggest sporting debate the home of all your favorite rugby analysis opinions and conversations thanks for listening we'll be back in your ears next week Come select with us. There you go. <laughs>